Hi, this is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. Please turn into or click on to Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. As we finish this series, Preach, Teach, Reach series, or Mission 2023, Matthew 28, all the way down in verse 16, beginning in verse 16. As we look at Matthew 28, 16, we see that it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father God, I pray tonight as we look at your word, that your word would pierce our heart and help us, above all else, to see our need to make disciples. God, we know it's your call, we know you command it, but I pray, Lord, that tonight we would embrace it with all of our mind, heart, soul, strength, and being. Bless your word as it is preached tonight, Lord. In your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, to review again, our mission as Christ-centered community ministries, both the church, Christ-centered combat, just pray, warrior women, all the different things that we do, our mission collectively is this, to build a Christ-centered community by preaching, teaching, and reaching our community through Christ-centered ministries. Now, the last couple of weeks, we looked at what it meant to reach people, because if you're going to preach and teach others, you have to first reach them. You have to go to them. Now we're going to see a little bit of that go tonight as well. But we have to reach others. And we looked at what it meant to overcome some of the things that get in the way of that. Sometimes that we don't have confidence or courage to do what God has called us to do in sharing our faith with others. And we looked at what it meant to process that and to use the Holy Spirit's power to empower us to do what God has called us to do because he has given us the power to reach others. And then last week, last week we looked at when we've reached out to others or we reached into their lives, we have saw what it meant to preach to them, to proclaim the gospel, to preach God's word, and that we're called to do that, that that is something that he wants us to do with our lives. And both of those messages were set against the backdrop of Paul writing a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, to tell him the most important things in his ministry as a pastor and as a Christian to do as Paul was getting ready to be executed. Tonight, we're going to look at that third one. We've we've reached out to others. We've received power from the Holy Spirit to do so. We understand the importance of preaching God's word. And then we see that there is only one thing left to do following that. And that is simply to go and to teach others what it means to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, the word disciple in the Greek simply means leader, or excuse me, learner or pupil. Now, I said leader by mistake there, and it was, it was a slip, because in our last, the last class that I had in my doctoral degree program, we talked about discipleship a lot, and we learned 
uh, we learned that there's an equivalency between the word disciple and the word leader. We often go to church and we think of disciple as simply a student. And yet, what God wants us to know is that he wants us to grow in his son, Jesus Christ, so that we mature in the faith to be like Christ, so that we can then literally lead others in what it means to know Jesus Christ, so that they can then go make disciples who become leaders in the faith, who can then go and make disciples who can become leaders in the faith. Because being a believer is not a passive thing where we just receive and then we don't do anything with it and stay where we are spiritually. The intent, as we'll see in the text tonight, was always to grow in our faith and likeness of Jesus Christ like the disciples did while they walked with him for three and a half years so that they could then go and make disciples of others. So tonight, as we look at this text, as we look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20, we're going to see three directives that Jesus Christ gives to his disciples on the mountain that, and directives for us as well that we must obey if we're going to fulfill his mission as a ministry for making disciples. And the very first directive that we see in the text, the first discipleship directive, is very simply that we go. When we look at the text, we find ourselves here on the mountain that Jesus told the disciples to go to before his crucifixion. And then after he is crucified, he does in fact go post-crucifixion to meet the disciples on the mountain because he wants to give them some final instructions before he ascends into heaven. And these are the instructions that he gives the disciples, his last words, if you will. And they are simply, in verse 18, after they've arrived, he says this to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he tells them simply, Go. Go. He says, Go therefore, or you could switch that around even, and it could be, Therefore, because I have this authority in heaven and on earth, you are to go. What Christ wanted to emphasize with them is that he had the power and authority to essentially empower them to go and be his ambassadors on behalf of him and on behalf of God to share Jesus Christ and to share the kingdom and what it means to be born again and to have faith in Christ. He said, I've got the authority, I've got the power, you're going in my stead out into the world to reach others for Jesus Christ and ultimately to make disciples. But for that to accomplish, the first, for that to be accomplished, the first thing you must do is go. You got to get going. You can't just sit there and passively do this disciple thing anymore. It's active. You need to actually go literally be a disciple in life, not just one by name. So how do we do that? When we talk about going, and he says, go therefore and make disciples, well, as I was meditating on this and thinking through this, one thing I realized is that our going, if we're going to go in Jesus Christ to make disciples, we have to intentionally engage people outside of our church for the Lord. And you might be sitting there going, well, that's kind of a big duh, Pastor Sam. I think that's kind of implied in the text. It's actually more than that. It's directly stated there. However, the question, the real question here is, do we do it? Do we reach others outside of our walls and our predetermined times of worship to actually go out and engage with other people who do not know Christ in order to fulfill Christ's commandment to make disciples? When was the last time you made the opportunity to talk with someone 
about your life as a believer and why you believe in Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we go through life as Christians just assuming other people know that, right? We, we think because we don't swear or do some of the other things that people in the world choose to do, that people just automatically know somehow. However, that is not the case. We can't just assume that people know that we have trusted Christ as our Savior and that we are Christians and that we are seeking to be disciples of Christ. It, too, involves telling them and engaging with them in their lives. And we have to be intentional about it. It's not just going to happen. Yes, God does bring things to pass, and he does bring divine appointments and people together, and yet we see very clearly, God says, you have to do your part too. you got to go. you got to go where the people are. So we see that going involves uh, intentionally engaging people outside our church walls. Now, full disclosure, I've preached this text in the past, a few times at least now, right? As I was thinking through it, I realized that there was another element that I think we're missing when we talk about going. Because while it's very easy to say, okay, yeah, we need to get out and go, because we're like, okay, duh, that's understood, right? Even if we don't, even if we don't follow it, we know it, right? We would say. What about this? Have you considered that our going also intentionally involves not only people outside of our church walls, but doesn't going also require us intentionally engaging people inside our church walls as well? One of the clickiest places in the entire world is the church. We get comfortable with our, the people that we like, who are like us, who we're friends with, that we've spent years with, that we know. And then people come in and out who've never been here before, who visit, but they don't stay because they don't feel like they were included, involved, and a part of what was happening here. And I would say to you also that going is not just an outside thing. Going is also going to people in your church family or in the church itself and making sure that they're a part of the family. Intentionally engaging those who God brings inside of our walls as well, because he does that too. It's intentionally engaging people inside the church walls for the Lord as well, because the other thing we can't do is assume that anybody is here automatically knows Jesus. Because, folks, there are a lot of unsaved people in church on Sunday morning, or in our case, Saturday night, or in my friend's case, Friday night, when they do their church. There are a lot of unsaved folks in church that don't know Jesus. But if we come in and we're just going to worship and do our thing and see our friends and hang out and have a good time, and we don't care about the souls of the people that we're there with, they can completely slip through the cracks and never truly know what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. Because going and making disciples doesn't just happen out there, it happens in here too. So it requires intentionally engaging people outside, intentionally engaging people inside, and it often, both inside and outside, requires crossing comfortable boundaries for the sake of the gospel. So we have someone who comes to church and we go, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang out with that person. I don't think outside of church or when I felt like I had to. They're not like me at all. They don't like the things that I, don't, that I like to do. They have these personality traits or whatever that annoy me. We all have people in our lives like that. If we're actually honest Christians, we'll say that no one gets along with every single person. It's just that's not how people work. There are always going to be some things in some people 
that are going to rub us the wrong way and we're going to go, yeah, I wouldn't do it that way or I wouldn't do this or that or whatever and I would prefer not to spend time with that person. And yet, and yet, I don't see Christ stating any of that here as criteria for making disciples. So we need to be willing to cross comfortable boundaries where we say, you know what? That person's soul is more important than my personal preference. And you never know. I can tell you many times in my life where there were people that rubbed me the wrong way, but when I sensed the Holy Spirit leading me to actually engage them and talk with them and get to know them, I found that I actually liked them. And that that first impression was not an accurate representation of what they were actually really like. And then some of those relationships even led to amazing friendships that I never would have had if I just saw them or heard them or had an initial meeting with them and based, made my judgment call about them on that first initial impression. We have to be willing to cross comfortable boundaries because God wants us to reach other people no matter what we might think, feel, or whatever, because their souls are more important than our personal preference. He calls us to go without any caveats or criteria or specifics about who we're supposed to go to. In fact, if we look at other passages, he says, go everywhere to everyone, essentially. He gives them Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. So there's a whole, you can draw little circles on the map as they go out. So we see that our first discipleship directive is to go. Are you going? And when you go out into the world, into the community, and you interact with others on a daily basis, weekly basis, do you look for opportunities to share your faith? Do you look for open doors where God is working in someone's life that you can say, you know what, this is how uh, God worked in my life in this situation or this area. It's not beating them over the head with the Bible. It's not forcing religion down their throat. It's simply saying, this is what God did in my life. And this is what made the difference for me. And he does want to make a difference for you too. But God wants you to choose him and I can't make you do that. At church. In other places, uh, where you know other Christians and you're with other Christians, and also, like I said, with non-Christians. In those circles, in those opportunities, in those venues, are you stepping outside of your comfort zone to go to those that you worship with, to get to know them better, to engage with them, to, to be led by the Holy Spirit of God, in some cases even to share your faith, in that maybe they will come to know Christ as well if they don't already. That's going too. First discipleship directive is to go. The second is, in our going, because that's how it's written in the Greek, in the process of going, we do something. We do a couple things. The first is this. We baptize. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This baptizing has some real significance. It's symbolic, much like when we take part in the Lord's elements tonight following our time of preaching and teaching. We see there's symbolism with this as well. Baptizing is more than just getting folks wet. Okay, it actually really means something. And if you look at Romans, there's a couple chapters in Romans that are fantastic that really unpack this whole thing of baptizing and what it means and why it's symbolic. So we see our baptizing symbolizes, first and most importantly, a transition from death to sin and self to life. Because there's a picture of going down into the grave. And then coming up out of the grave and rising to new life. It's symbolic. Paul talks a lot about it. 
It's super important because of what it represents spiritually. Because as we're going and making disciples, that's the next part of it. In fact, salvation and trusting Christ and baptizing in Scripture are synonymous. More often than not, they're synonymous. We in church have typically separated those two things for whatever reason, whether it's convenience or whatever the reason is for it. And yet, in Scripture, nearly every time someone comes to Christ, they get baptized almost right away. It's because of what it represents. It's an outward demonstration of an inward decision. It symbolizes a transition from death to sin and self to life in Jesus Christ. Super important. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing. It also symbolizes something else. It symbolizes the decision to make a commitment to Christ and to the community or the church body, Jesus Christ's body, the church. So it is a public declaration of a commitment to a body, to Christ's body. It's a, it's a, it's a commitment to Christ and the community. In the Bible, that was serious business. Because in the New Testament, in many cases, people in that culture, when they accepted Christ, were immediately baptized, and people saw that, which is actually the intention of baptism, is for others to see it, to bear witness. People would lose their jobs. People would lose their lives. People would lose their families. They'd lose everything by identifying with Jesus Christ and with the community called Christians. And yet, that's how much salvation meant to these folks, that they were willing to do that. Because they were so committed to Christ and to the people of Christ that it was worth it. It was worth it. So it symbolizes a decision that's a commitment to Christ and the community. And it symbolizes a third thing as well. It symbolizes a declaration of allegiance. It's saying Christ is my king. And when we talk about being baptized in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's much like a, a knight being knighted by a king. It's that uh, I have an allegiance to God. He is my leader. I follow his orders. I go where he tells me to go. And I do what he tells me to do. And I do it on his behalf in his power. And baptism symbolizes that as well. A declaration of allegiance. We rise out of those waters committed to the king. So you see, baptism is super important. It's equivalent to accepting Christ in Scripture. However, accepting Christ is what the most important thing is. But baptism is a reflection of that. Now, hear me well, I'm not saying that baptism saves you. It does not. The act of baptism does not save you. However, accepting Christ should be followed by that picture of baptism, just like we have a picture of communion as well. So we see we're called and we have a directive from Christ himself to go, to baptize. And then the last thing we see, we're directed to teach. To teach anything? No. To teach the commands of Jesus Christ, verse 20. So we see, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And when we think in terms of teaching, and particularly teaching Christ's commands, there's a few things that we need to remember that I think it's easy to forget sometimes, especially when we've taught in church for a while and we've kind of gotten into that rhythm. We go, oh, it's another book series where I'm going to facilitate a discussion, and that's all it's going to be. 
But when we talk about teaching Christ's commands or how to live, because that's what he's saying here, teach them all that I have commanded, teach them how to live, we need to realize that our teaching is intended by Christ to edify or build up, not just inform. So it's not good enough just to be a Bible scholar and to just teach facts about the scriptures. When Jesus Christ talks about teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, it's a whole life thing. And it's meant to be practical. Practical, not just head, but also heart and hands and all of it. It's whole life teaching. Our teaching is intended to edify, not just inform, if we're going to teach about the life of Christ and what it means to follow his commands. Our teaching should also be modeled. It should be modeled. It's a thing that's caught, not just taught with the mouth. So we actually live out by way of picture in our lives the things that we're telling them that Christ commands. And we see that throughout God's we often refer to that as testimony. So we see our teaching should be modeled through our lives. We teach Jesus Christ's commands through our lives and how we live, as well as proclaiming and teaching and instructing verbally and with our words. And we see that our teaching must be communicated as commanded. This is super important because there are a lot of folks today, as Paul warned Timothy about, and we saw over the last couple of weeks, that like to take God's word and twist it to meet their own ends, to use it to hurt people or manipulate people or make people do what they want them to do rather than what Christ wants them to do. And Christ is very specific when he tells the disciples, don't just teach them what you want to teach them, teach them what I have commanded you. And we have the living word of Jesus Christ right here in this text. Because we don't have him as a person, as a, well, he's still a person. We don't have him in human form here in the incarnation like the disciples did. This is Christ, living Christ through his word in the text. So he still tells us what he commands through God's word, through the text, through the scriptures. So we know what he's commanded us. And we must communicate it as he commands it. He directs us to do that. Now, all of these things are assumed because these verbs are active. Christ assumes that we're doing these things. He assumes that they're to go out and to baptize and to teach. And he assumes that as Christians, if we claim to be such, are doing those things as well. And he directs us to it. So as we look at this text and we see these three directives, we see that we're called to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach them. So let me ask you this, in terms of discipleship, and remember I said at the beginning, one of the things we're going to unpack in the months to come is that disciple does actually also equal leader. It might not be leader like you think of leader, but you're still, it's still a leader. Are you involved in any kind of discipleship relationships right now? Is there anyone that you are doing life with, a brother, sister, in Christ, whom you're walking alongside, who you're learning from, who is learning from you, who you're growing with, that is essentially modeling for you and teaching you what Christ says in his word and you doing the same in kind? Are you involved in any kind of discipleship relationship at this, right now in your life? 
If you answer that question, no, I want to encourage you that that can change and should change. We should have people in our life that are discipling us and that we are discipling. And it may be one-on-one, -on -one, it might be a small group, it might be some other different format, because God's Word has many different kinds of formats. That's something else that we talked about in our discipleship class this last class. It doesn't all look the same. One size does not fit all when it comes to discipleship. So that can change and should change. And I want to, I want to exhort you, I want to encourage you, that if you want to connect with others who want to be involved in discipleship relationships, our leaders here would love to help you facilitate that. We'd love to help you get connected to people and to talk about who you have in your life that is in a discipleship relationship or wants to be in a discipleship relationship with someone. So please reach out to us so that we can get you connected in those relationships. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize your call in our lives tonight as a church and as individuals to make disciples. My prayer is that over the course of the next year that we would take that seriously. That we would go out and that we would go within. And that we would make that a priority. And to get to know others in such a way, both inside and out, to know whether or not they have a relationship with you, whether or not they've accepted you and been baptized in your name, whether or not they're living according to your word as you commanded. Lord, I pray that you would use us your followers, those that claim to be your disciples, to do this work that you've called us to do. Give us the whole, your Holy Spirit's power, because we can't do it in our own. And Lord, I pray that you would grow your kingdom through us. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're actually now going to move into a time of communion. And communion is super important, which is why we've gotten back to doing it more regularly. We don't want it to ever become a habit or a ritual. However, we do need to be serious about it. We do need to take it serious so that we are periodically making sure that we commune with one another and commune with the Lord and remember his sacrifice. Before we go to the table, though, we're called to make sure that we do so worthily. That's another important aspect of communion. Making certain that you are right with the Lord in your relationship with Him. That you have fellowship with Him. Because communion is for those that know the Lord and those that are in relationship with Him. So I want to invite you and encourage you now. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And take the next few moments to do a relationship check. And if there is anything that is in the way of your relationship with God right now and things being good, I mean, it's simply a matter of saying, God, are we good? And his spirit will let you know. And then confessing that and receiving his forgiveness.
God, as we come before the table tonight, we lay ourselves bare. Lord, we want to come to you unified in spirit and in body as a church family communing together. And I pray as we take part in the elements that we would remember the communal focus with that, that we are one, we are one body. And that we would love one another as you've loved us. It's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do apologize ahead of time. These were frozen before the service, and I trust they had some time. It looks like we're, yes, okay, we're in the good form now, hopefully. However, even if they were frozen, I'd like to stress that it's symbolic. And that's what matters most, really. Paul, rightly so, took communion pretty seriously. He, in fact, writes to the Corinthians that you guys, essentially he was saying, you guys are involved in some things that you shouldn't be doing, and I'll cover that more when I get there in person. However, this communion issue is too important to wait, so I'm going to outline it here, and that's why we have it in the text. He says, you guys are doing communion wrong. Your emphasis is all wrong. You're focusing on yourselves rather than the church family and on Christ and remembering why you do it. So he lays out for them the, the importance of it and what it means and why it means that. And he writes to the Corinthians about how to take part in communion based on what Jesus Christ did at the Last Supper. And verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and take, open up your bread there, and take and eat. Lord, we do thank you for your broken body and for what that symbolizes. For the punishment that you took on our behalf so that we don't have to. For your sacrifice in human form. So that our spirits could be with you forever. And Lord, we also remember your blood that was shed. The pain that you endured. The loss of physical life. And Lord, we remember that blood that washes away our sin, not just covers it over, but completely does away with it. And we thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. In Christ's name, amen. He then said in verse 25, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, 
and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Oh God, we do thank you for the family that you give us. Lord, you know, everyone has different biological families and situations, but Lord, thank you so much for giving us all access, if we choose, to a church family, to a spiritual family, to your family. And Lord, I pray that we would remember that in the times when we are struggling or hurting or even want someone to celebrate with. Thank you so much for the family that you've given us and for the price that you paid so that we could have it. And Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless as you go forth to reach, preach, and teach others in 2023. Thank you for listening to Christ Centered Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.